Welcome to the Black Minds Matter Podcast. I'm Mac, kicking with my man Rev, and of course, this is a now production. Yo, Rev, what's going on with you, man? How you feel? How's your, you know what I'm saying, things in your neck of the woods, bro? Man, things are well. Um, back at back at work, I'm dealing with these kids, man. Uh, you uh-huh. know, dealing with Colombian kids is different than kids from the United States, man. How are you, bro? How are things? What you mean? What you mean they're different? They're kids. They're kids is kids, right? They all got their issues. Culture, bro. Culture, nah. different world. It's a different got you. It's yeah. a different world, man. How are you, man? Man, you know what I'm saying? I'm stressed out. Let's be real. I'm in the middle of moving. Uh, things are all in boxes around here. I don't know if y'all can tell, but my angle's a little different. Well, I got a different stand and whatever. We're gonna make life it work. Is life, you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna make it work, man. This stuff ain't gonna stop me. Anyway, we keep it moving. So, bro, what are we talking about today? Do you want to introduce our illustrious guest here? Yes, yes, I do. Um, so I'm very happy and excited about this. This has been a long time coming. We have uh, danced around this issue um, in a lot of our episodes. We've touched on it several times. Probably one of our largest topics, like as far as the amount of time we've touched on it, and that is law enforcement in the in the black community. So I am uh, happy to introduce uh, Sergeant Carter from uh, Champaign, Illinois. I'll let him talk a little bit more about himself, but. Small world. I'm gonna give a quick story about this guy and how, um, you know, it's like it's like I'm Kevin Bacon. You know, I'm connected to everybody, like uh, you know, through through minimal degrees, degrees of separation. separation. Right? So so yeah. so uh, Sergeant Carter here. You know, I know him as James, but we always gonna respect the title, of course. So Sergeant Carter yeah. here. Um, he knows my adopted brother, and I didn't know that. Right, like like this is something I didn't know. So I live in Champaign. Um, Born in Alton, Illinois, though, as we know. And one day I was at the gym working out and this, this, you know, handsome young man comes in and he hears me talk. (laughs) And then he's like, hey, is Mac your dad? And I'm like, yeah, how you know that? Right? Like, like, come on, man. Like how, and he's like, man, look, you look just like him. And ain't nobody in the world looks like they like just like him. So I am a spinning image of my father. So that's how I met James and then through it all come to find out him and my and my brother are friends. So I was like, oh, wow, there it is. So James, welcome to the Black Minds Matter podcast. Uh, Sergeant Carter, I should say, um, let the people know a little bit about you, man. Just introduce yourself. And um, yeah, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Rev. Mac, I, I, I appreciate it. And uh, just a little update. Uh, I made Lieutenant uh, June hey. 12th. Hey, yeah. my man. That's what's up, man. Okay, my bad. No, hey, hey, it's, it's Carter. Yeah, it's, it's all good. But hey, but James works. James yeah. works fine. Hey, yeah, so, we're we in the backyard eating chicken anyway. We just chilling, right? <laughs> just hanging out. Yeah, exactly. Chicken. But uh, I, I appreciate the invite, and it's not too often I actually get a chance to actually share my perspective and my experiences as. A, a black police officer. Um, you know, a lot of times, a lot of my responses and the way I have to deal with things, I have to deal with them in a general fashion without that specific uniqueness to my experience being a black man and a police officer. So mm. this this space right here and the opportunity to to share that with you guys is awesome. So thank you. All yeah, right. no doubt. And that's what this show is really all about. Those interesting perspectives that don't normally get talked about. The voices that don't normally get heard. 
So that's why we were happy to invite you on, man. Absolutely. Go ahead, Red. What you got to say, bro? All right, man. So, so there is a a visceral, if you will, between the African American community. Or wait, wait. Let me say this. There is a perceived visceral because I actually don't know if the visceral uh-huh. exists or not. So I'm going to say perceived. There's a perceived visceral between the African American community and the and the the law enforcement, right? And then a lot of, you know, I've heard black people say things like, oh, you know, I could never be a police officer. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, turn on my community or whatever. And I don't necessarily think it's turning on their community. I think that's a, that's a, um, a immature thought process, if you will. So, you know, James, man, tell us about your experience just in general as being a police officer, how long you've been in law enforcement, how you started. I know you said you just made Lieutenant. Congratulations, man. Keep going, keep climbing, make captain one day, do whatever you want to do, but just give us a little bit more about how, uh, how long you've been on the force, your experience on the force overall, how, how's it been, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. So I have been a police officer since, uh, January 18th, 2008. Um, I actually have six years left before I can like fully retire. Oh, okay. Uh, but what led me into law enforcement, so I got my degree in sociology and every job I had was like a community-based job. And then like, you know, like you said, there's always been this, this love, hate, visceral relationship between the black community and law enforcement. And what really sparked it one day, I had a conversation with my cousin and, um, you know, we can always talk about um, how good or bad or, or lack thereof of a relationship we have with law enforcement agencies who police our communities. But my question to him was like, how do we change that? Like, can we actually get people to see us differently? Right. Or can we actually participate, be a part of that system? You know what I'm saying? And actually be the kind of police officer that you want somebody to be in your, in in your community, because and I've seen this firsthand. I know, I know police officers who do not have, like good people skills, right? So the conversation that they have, it starts off, you know, contentious. There's like conflict and, and you know, we're, we're spiritual people. And when we feel like you don't respect me as a, as a human being or as a person, or if you think you're smarter than me or whatever, like right off the bat, I don't have respect for you. They, they're not gonna have respect for that officer because they don't feel like they see them as a person. Mm. I have never had a problem with dealing with anybody regardless of the situation now you got people who are going to be upset and they're going to want to fight run be disagreeable but at the end of the day when you treat them with respect i've had people come back to me and say you know what man i'm sorry i was being a jerk such as i said you treated me with respect mm. okay respect does not have a color Amen. like that now yeah. I, I i've seen white officers deal with black people and I've seen them talk to them appropriately and they come back and say, you know, you know, forget you cop, you this, blah, 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 cuss them out and all that. They show the same respect to them for treating them with respect that they give to me. So I, I, so I see it firsthand. That's not, now it's a different conversation if you're talking about mistreatment and then you add color on top of the mistreatment, then you know, we don't have very much of an argument on why things happen the way they happen, you know, and it's also like a regional thing, too, because in different parts of the country, you know, um, law enforcement has a, a different 
grasp on what community means and policing this community means this is what we do when we're over here. Policing this community means this is how we police this community. And But I think you see little microcosms of that anywhere you go. So like here in Champaign, you know, or Urbana, the, the areas where we have the most criminal activity, you will see more police cars, right? So mm-hmm. you put the you put the squad cars, you put the 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 meter to force where everything is happening, right? Mm-hmm. But when something happens in another neighborhood, do we treat those people the same way based on the circumstances, right? So right. you got to kind of get all of that stuff out. But okay. so, but about a little bit more about me, I kind of went off on a tangent. I'm sorry. No, it's no, all right. Sorry. No, no, no. Please. Welcome it's, that. Please. It's your it's your platform, man. You go go wherever you yeah. want to go. Yeah, so I, I, I spent probably my first four years uh, on patrol, and then I went to investigations for about three and a half, four years, and I got promoted to sergeant. Um, I went back to patrol for another five and a half, six years. Then I went to our community outreach and engagement program. Um, I did that for two years, and then I went back to investigations as the sergeant. And then eight, seven, eight months later, I got promoted to lieutenant. Now I'm the lieutenant um, in our investigations division. That's so that's nice, man. That's the cliff, awesome. notes, cliff notes on my career. Um, but man, it's like I've met so many people like in the scope of my job, like students and, you know, uh, especially young black men that find themselves in, you know, in, in situations. And like, I'm still in contact with, you know, a few of them. Um, I check on them. Sometimes they check on me. It's just kind of a cool, you know, kind of relationship. You know, I've always been, I guess, more like a, you know, kind of like an uncle or a big brother, you know, to people when I see, you know, like if there's a room for a teachable moment, I, be- I believe in having that versus, so if it's like a petty offense, you know, and it's called discretion, you know, and officers use it all the time. So I chose to use my discretion to help people when I saw there was a little bit of window. You know, I got I got decent common sense. I know when a good conversation is warranted when like somebody is, is conducive to listening and having that conversation. But if somebody's shutting down on you and they're not really wanting to engage in that conversation, you know you're not gonna be able to have that conversation with them. But um that's just you know some of my experiences. Cool. That'll work. Awesome. awesome. I know Key had a question. Go ahead, Key. Yeah, talking about that kind of that that big brother mentor kind of relationship. Um, I'm curious if you don't mind sharing what it was like with you starting in this um, in this field with the general understanding that we kind of have about black people and the police force. What even um, made you interested in becoming a police officer? Yeah, so I um, I was having you know that. Uh, conversation, you know, with my cousin and, um, you know, we were basically talking about the relationship between the black community and law enforcement agencies and us, you know, having issues with the way we, we were being policed. And then the question, so what do we do about it? Do we wait for, you know, people to treat us, you know, right. Or do we like, you know, take a more assertive and, you know, involvement stance and like, let's sign up to be police officers so we can be the police officers we want in our communities, you know? Mm-hmm. So I saw it as, you know, I can sit back and wait for somebody to do me right, or I can I can do it myself and model it. And I understand, I, I understood, you know, from the beginning that it's not a, 
instantaneous process. You know, everything, and when you talk about change, and I, I don't like to use the word change because that scares people. I say development. Because if you say change, everybody gets upset. Wow. Are you right. going to change, change? Like, nobody wants change. But if you say development, so if we want to make some developments um, in, in, the scape of in, in the landscape of policing, as Black people in America, we have to be a part of that process. We can no longer sit back and wait to be policed and expect to be policed according to how we want to be policed. Hmm. And I, I know, like, that sounds, like, harsh and, you know, not being optimistic, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And it's the same thing in our community. As long as we're waiting for somebody to fix it for us, you know, ain't, ain't no problem with getting some help, getting stuff fixed. But we need more people taking initiative to bring about that change we're asking for. The village. It's the village. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I like the way you put that. There's a lot of time for people sit back and say somebody else is going to fix it. But really, it takes us to do it. We should be the ones in our communities policing our people. We should be the ones there keeping everything straight because we know what's going on in this community. And we shouldn't be waiting for somebody else to come in to do that. So with that, I have you know, a whole lot of myths and a lot of questions about stuff we hear from the past. Like We've talked about the history of where police officers started and where they came from, right? We've talked about a lot of stuff like that, and I hope that things have changed now. But once you got in, in those early years, did you still see or feel any of that good old boys aspect of how they treated Black people or how they treated, um, I guess, Black officers coming in, too? You know, there, uh, where was it? I can't remember. I think it was in Miami. They were talking about there was some captain that passed around a whole bunch of uh, just racist remarks and things that they normally would do within their within their unit. But there's a black cops and they're like, hey, this got to stop. Did you run into any of those racist jokes, racist issues, conversations, anything like that in this area? I have never been a part of a racist conversation or you know epithets being thrown at black people i have seen where culture is confusing to people right not understanding especially like you know especially like some of the lingo the slang and then like like black culture in general you know just mm -hmm. because you know when we're talking and speaking passionately does not mean that we're angry don't confuse anger Man. Right. That's a big one. That's a with, big one. Right. With with passion, right? I've I've seen conversations go sideways because of that cultural competency piece. Cultural right? competency. Yeah. So, so we can we can watch a conversation and be like, you know what, man, these brothers, you know, they having the spirited conversation, but they're not angry. Mm -hmm. but, but if they were, but if it were to turn into an angry conversation or disagreement we would also recognize that too. And it's mm -hmm. just, it's just, it's just a cultural competency piece. And it's not that, you know, most people want to be intentionally misunderstanding. It's like, it, it, it would be like taking you, well, I'm Tim, you can probably attest to this because you've been immersed in a completely different culture and you had to acclimate, yes. yeah. right? But, but it's, instead of challenging them on their culture, you ask questions you observe 
and you learn and you figure out how to assimilate yes in each situation Absolutely. that's what we that's that's what we don't have here in america everybody wants to stay in their lane in terms of what they believe what culture is what a, what an american is supposed to be and there's too much diversity in this country to have one or two baseline themes that you expect people to follow and it's it's that right there that creates most of the misunderstanding that we witness in all aspects of life here. Okay, um, thank you for that. I, I, I hear you and, and I think you're right. Um, you know, you have to be willing to accept change and know, and know that cultures are different. So I'm gonna give you a couple of statistics just because, you know, I'm the nerd on the show and I, I, I look things up. So <laughs> uh, according to a couple of different publications, um, we have about 65% of all uh, police officers in the United States are white. Um, that would leave 16.8%. So let's say roughly 17% are Latino and only 12% are black or African-American. Now, I'm actually encouraged by that number because I thought it would be a lot lower in my initial, when, when, in my hypothesis. The reason I'm encouraged by that number is because we typically make up you between 11 to 14 percent of the population depending on which publication you you look at and if we are then 12 percent of the police force we're actually properly represented if that makes sense in pure baseline numbers it, it, it makes sense but i do want to ask you a question about not just police officers policing okay and how our neighborhoods are oftentimes over policed by people who are not from those neighborhoods. I'll give the example. I'm a teacher and in most urban areas, the reason that the teachers and the students don't get along is because most urban teachers don't live in the neighborhoods in which they teach. So they're mm -hmm. bringing in all their biases about that particular urban neighborhood from the suburbs. So they say, I'm going to this all black and Latino school where the kids are, XYZ, they're bad, et cetera. So they're not being, and the students are like, these teachers can't relate to me. I'm being taught by teachers who think I am a criminal just because I live in this neighborhood. Same mm -hmm. thing with police officers, policing, policing, right? Not police officers, policing. Most police officers don't patrol, from what I understand, and you can correct me, that's what I'm asking. From what I understand, don't patrol or police the neighborhoods in which they live. So you get a large majority of white police officers patrolling black neighborhoods. Can you speak to that? And, and if that's correct, if it's incorrect, and how that dynamic plays between the relationship between police officers and the black community? Yes, so it's, it's, it's a few layers to that, but I mean, just the history, like you spoke of earlier, and the natural progression of like these changes over time in policing is a natural result of every social movement that's ever come through. Okay, so you go through slavery, you go through uh, Jim Crow, you go through the civil rights movement. And, you know, as we progressively take baby steps in a historical perspective in our, in our position and how we regard it as cattle yeah. property yes to three-fifths of a man yes so now we're almost 100 percent human right 
depending on who you ask. Hold on. Well, <laughs> well, no. Oh no, bro. <laughs> oh, no. My point. My point is like there's 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 a rate of progression. Like, um, almost as much time as it takes, you know, to to damage something, it's going to take that much time, or maybe even a little bit more to repair. So I think we're taking steps yeah. in the right direction, but we don't we don't have enough we don't have enough qualified people who want to be police officers who live in the area who are interested where there are positions open where those people can make an impact in their community. Let me let so, me follow let me follow up with that. Huh? What is happening with the community to where we don't want to then go and police ourselves. Like you said with your cousin, we see that the policing is, is not being handled correctly, hmm. but we're, it's almost as if we're being so turned off to where instead of wanting to fix it, we actually want to separate it, se be separated from it even more. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Instead of saying like, hey, what are we doing? So what are police units maybe in Champaign or otherwise doing to encourage people from the community to become police officers to then reinvest and police that community. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a good question. And if you could answer that or find a plausible solution, it'll make you a very rich person. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, that's, that's, that's one of those things where like, um, if there were an answer, I wish, I wish I had it. Um, but I mean, but honestly, it's, it just takes time. Um, it takes people, it takes conversations like this, you know, being shared and people opening up their minds, uh, to consider something new. So it's like, you know, when you're a kid and whatever your influence, whatever your influences are that stimulate what kind of career path you want to go on. So in families, you have, you know, doctors, lawyers, you have teachers, uh, you have people who are involved in trades like and you'll see trends in families where there are multiple people. So whatever discipline they studied, you know, families full of lawyers, there tends to be a tradition of a particular career path, vocation, education or whatever in families, in communities. You'll see certain trades and you'll see certain things that are a way of life and a way of making a living for yourself based on what you perceive to be your resources and your possibilities. Law enforcement needs to be something that we are cultivating into people of color to say, hey, this is, this is possible for you too. Because we want people who actually live in the community, care about the community. I mean, what, what better police officer would there be than somebody homegrown who grew up here, who knew Absolutely. most of the families have a good relationship with them. They can talk to anybody. Nobody Absolutely. can argue with that. Absolutely. No doubt. No so doubt. Who can argue with that? And I, I would be less likely to be jumpy with somebody I know. Yep. Somebody that knows my parents. They would be less likely to harm me because our families know each other. Yep. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. that's what I'm talking about. So we 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 need we need to start preparing our young people to get involved in law enforcement careers. Agree. See, I like how you did that. You know, we need to start by getting more people to understand what the task, what the job is. So I want to jump back to something you said earlier about your community outreach and your engagement with people in the community. Like, 
how do you go about doing that? Because it sounds like a great idea where you're getting out there and dealing with these people uh, before they're adults. You're dealing with them as children. Am I, am I assuming incorrectly here? Uh, what exactly are you doing with your community outreach? Please explain to the people. Well, so um, two-pronged thing. So community outreach isn't a program to me. Okay. And, and anybody, anybody who has, um, you know, that kind of heart to actually want to connect with the community, it's not a program. You can have a community engagement program, but if you don't have people who are community-oriented. Community-minded. Community-minded. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like what I was saying earlier. Like, you know, you, you like real recognize real. So when, when you care, when they can tell you care, that's mm-hmm. the matter of engaging with the community. Just simply showing up, you know, with a uniform on and saying, hey, I stopped over here for five minutes. That's not community engagement. So, so what we did, you know, it was, it was like the first um, like community, official community engagement program you know, that we, you know, we started back in 2020. It was like during the height of COVID and it was difficult because we really couldn't even have like, like FaceTime with the kids. Um, but, you know, we found a way to, you know, get some FaceTime. We partnered with the Don Warrior Boys and Girls Club, you know, and we were, we were there. We like participated in their programming. And what we did was we didn't go in there and take a program with them. We went in and whatever activities uh, that the kids and the staff were engaged in, we engage with them. So if they're playing mat ball, we played mat ball. If they if they were making um styrofoam cup bird nests, we made styrofoam cup bird nests with the kids. Conversation, building relationships. That that was my vision for how I wanted the program to go because I didn't want to be disingenuous. I didn't want it to not be authentic. I told our communications person like I don't want anybody coming from our department showing up here with a camera taking pictures. We're yeah. not going to do that. No like photo. That. And, you know, and, you know, he, he, he agreed to that. You know, he didn't have a problem with it. And I said, but if, if the Boys and Girls Club chooses to take pictures of their kids engaging with us, that's on them. And that's how it should be. It shouldn't be a photo op. So I had an opportunity when I had my, uh, let's see, we went to Chicago for the Caribbean Fest, right? So we we're out there hanging out, having fun. And there was an opportunity for my son to be playing I can't remember if they were throwing a basketball back and forth or throwing a football back and forth, but a cop stepped in, he picked up the ball and started playing with the kids. I'm like, this is perfect. This is what we need to see, especially in a city like Chicago where the cops are interacting, interacting with young black males and showing them that we are people. We are not here just to enforce the rules and just to be this oppressor upon you guys. We're here to support you. We're here to protect and to serve and we're people just like you are. So I, I'm excited to hear that you guys are doing things like that with the Boys and Girls Club. Shout out to the Boys and Girls Club. I spent plenty of years there myself. So, man, please keep it up. I, I, I don't know what more I can say about that. I can't pump you up any higher, but keep that up. I want more and more officers to have that interaction with uh, both the kids and with older people. Now, I, I want to bring this up. I do have another police officer in my family. I couldn't get a hold of for this one. We'll probably have to get him on for another one. But uh, in high school, I used to get plenty of times where some of my friends, you know, I, I used to bounce back and forth between the lines of right and wrong. We ain't going to get into that too much. But I had friends who were. Uh, I was on the good side, of- just to let y'all know. <laughs> Whenever he wanted to act right, he hung out with me. And then when he wanted to do the dirt, he left me at home 
and man, when it is dirt. See why you see you talking about it now. You supposed to keep that to yourself. What you doing, man? Why are you bringing up old stuff, right? <laughs> right, right. Come on, man. Bringing up my past. Anyway, so yeah, there was plenty of times where some of those guys that I hang with that weren't always doing the right thing would come to me like, man, uh, officer. I'll put his name out there because, you know, it was family. So, man, Officer Cobb out there, is that your cousin? It's like, yeah. Why he get me for this? Why he get my cousin for that? And I'm like, well, y'all shouldn't have been doing what you was doing. You got caught. He was doing his job as you was trying to do yours. Don't get caught, homie, or just don't do what you do. So having him out there made me feel like there are police officers out there that are part of our community. I mean, that was part of my family. I got an understanding of his job because, you know, I heard from, things he did at the family reunions, whatever. And I got to see the other side of the young men who probably should have went to jail for a lot more time, but because he was able to talk to them and work with them on some things and to explain to them the errors of their ways, man, I love seeing that in our black community. So are you able to see some of the fruits of your works? Are you able to see some of these young men that you're able to talk to and to change them and help them to see things like that? Because we're not always gonna see the fruits of our works. But have you expressed, or I mean, have you um, have you ever um, got a chance to see that? Please give us some of the old stories. I don't know if you have any. I hope you do. Oh yeah. Um, th there's there's a young man in particular. Uh, I remember. I, I probably remember him the most because he was that dude. Uh, that would everything you can think of. F the police. This that F Twitter, like he was that dude. Yeah, Every time. You know. he yeah, that's the big thing and, for and, us, too. And, and then if, if we actually had to deal with him on something, you know, we had to deal with him on a couple of issues before. And he was like the hardest person to deal with. Like he he wasn't trying to hear nothing you had to say. Uh, he would cuss you out. He look at you crazy. And. I always. Treated him with respect. One day. I stopped to talk to him. Like it was like not enforcement. I'm sorry, my light's going out in my car. It's all right, uh, man. Take yeah, your time. I, so, so like I stopped, got out of my car. You know, I forgot where I saw him at, but I just got out just to talk to him. And he was like, "Like, what's up?" I said, "Nothing. I just wanted to check on you." And he was like, "What?" I said, "I said every time, you know, the most of the time I've seen you has been like me in my capacity, and I was in full uniform." I said, but it's in the capacity, like, you know, we got called to something because you were in the area or you were a part of something. I said, I'm just, I'm just checking on you. Right. So we start having a conversation and he, you know, he was kind of telling me a little bit about his life and, you know, he was at the U of I, um, you know, he has a lot of issues going on with his family. He ended up, you know, kind of, I guess he had to drop out or his grades fail, went to Parkland trying to get back in. So the brother was dealing with a lot of stuff. So I can understand why he was in the, in the position he was in and why he felt the way he felt. Because the last thing you want on top of all of the problems you got going on in the world is a cop in your face telling you, 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 you messing this up too, dude. Right. Mm. Mm. So he was like, thank you. I appreciate it. And like, every time I saw him after that, like, we're like, Man, he'll, he, I don't know, I, I don't care where we are. He'll stop, get out of his car, he'll come shake my hand, chop it up with me. And then like, I saw him walking across the street in front of the red line one night. And it was about, I don't know, you know, 10, 11 brothers walking together and he was with him. So I, I stopped at the crosswalk, I'm waiting on the brothers go and you know, I'm waving at him. And 
a few of them start, you know, F12, blah, 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 blah. And he jumped mm -hmm. up. He said, he said, no. He said, y'all can't talk to Officer Carter like that. You know? So, Yo. like, literally, like, like you know, y'all can't talk to him like that. Like, you know, that's not cool. So I, I see it. I see it as one personal interaction can change the trajectory of the relationship between a, a, any any police officer, especially a black police officer and a and a young black man, right? Man. Person by person, piece by piece. But the key to that is you have to have everybody doing that, or a majority of the people on the force doing that. More people in the community, um, gradually being more conducive to having interactions like that, and. That's, that's the most difficult part because I don't expect people in our community to be open to trusting police officers. That's why it's on us. Mm -hmm. that's, that's why it's on us. And you no and just just so our audience is clear, when you say us, you mean the police officers to make the first step. I'm, talk, I'm talking about us. Yes, sir. Okay. So, because, because you know you're double us, right, in this situation. Yeah, right? yeah. You, yeah, you're saying us. us. I'm weak. <laughs> Yeah. No. So, so, so I, I do want to I do want to follow up with something you said. I, I think you you made a couple of points. Um, you use the word understanding, um, which which I love. Like like you are understanding his situation, um, which which was great. I think um, you were right when you said earlier in the in the show that um, some police officers and civilians meet each other with automatic angst. Right. Like you're a criminal. You're you hate me because I'm a police officer, et cetera. Right. And, and that has to calm. Right. And then you, you treat that person with respect. Um, I I want to go back to where you said um, you were called many times and to this young man, like he was involved or something like that. So it's, it's back to policing, because I think there is. Um, what you are doing in the community at the Boys and Girls Club, that is policing as well. Policing just isn't arresting. Policing is making sure the neighborhood is taken care of. Now, um, I'm going to give you some more statistics because, again, I'm going to I'm just going to ask you to speak to him. Uh, I, my favorite author ever is this man named Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell is awesome. And he had a book, his, uh, one, of his, one of his, I think it was his last book, actually. Um, it was called Talking to Strangers. And he used... Um, Sandra Bland and her her death as the um, I don't want to say it, sort of as the story to his to his um, book and, and open it up and basically he talked about how miscommunication is what actually led to her being arrested and actually dying. It was just miscommunication because she was speaking with that passion. She was frustrated and things of that nature. And then that cop, instead of trying to calm the situation, he sort of exploded the situation and everything went to crap. Well, in the book, he talked about policing and you were talking about you were in the Boys and Girls Club. Well, he, he, the stat in the book, and, and I don't know if you agree with this and this is your experience, but I believe it just because he's a well-known author. He said that 50% of the crime, the reported crime in the United States happens on 5% of the streets, right? So if you take a city, most of the crime is going to happen in an isolated area, right? And, and oftentimes, his, his argument was oftentimes, there's actually more crime happening. It just seems like police are over-policing these certain areas and they're looking for 
criminal activity where it could be going on in these, you know, more affluent neighborhoods, et cetera. So how do you, how do you speak? Well, not how do you, what would you say to that about the over-policing, the over-patrolling of our communities as black people? Um, does that happen? Do you see it? Is, is this far-fetched? What do you think? Well, I mean, it, it, it makes complete sense to me why that why the numbers come up that way and and i'll explain it like so if you take a look at those the five percent of those streets right though the five percent of those streets are going to be in neighborhoods that are distressed there's going to be a level of poverty right there's also going to be a cultural mm -hmm. compare and mm -hmm. this is where we see the most open criminal activity Ooh, mm. open can okay you explain, open can you explain open to us yeah, street crimes, selling drugs, right? Violence. Obvious. Like right. These, these things that are glaring examples of crimes being committed because they are highly visible in a highly visible place. Right? So the mindset of the community and police, well, this is where all this stuff is happening. We need to put more cops over there. You know, meanwhile... The, the other 50% of the crime on the other 98% uh, of the streets, right? Doesn't get that much coverage. And, and the landscape is so much larger. So it's easier to commit crime in these places where yes, crimes aren't happening so readily, you know, out in the open. So the, the, the focus is more on the, the glaring crimes, especially like if it, if, it, if it can be labeled as violent crime mm -hmm. or property crimes where people are being, you know, deprived of, you know, of their property or people don't feel safe. Like that's where the focus of law enforcement is like, so on a priority scale, now me as a police officer, am I going to be more concerned? Like if I notice there's been several shootings in this area, right. And high drug traffic over here, you know, there was a, you know, a burglary to motor vehicle, like six months ago and not really a history of it. Am I concerned about should I should I be over here more or should I be where I think stuff's gonna happen? But so here's it here, sounds well, like it's a numbers game. You just focus in where most of the stuff is really happening, more of the uh, violent stuff or the, the scarier, if we want to use that word. But, stuff. That, but that but that's a part of it. Let me jump in here real quick. But that's a part of it. I, I think uh Lieutenant, I just like calling you Lieutenant, man. That's pretty good. That's pretty cool, bro. I'm sorry. Like, like I'm bragging right now. Like, hey, hey I got a, my, my boy's a Lieutenant. Anyway, so yeah. I think Lieutenant Carter is speaking to something because he's saying it's easier to commit crime. Like, hey, don't let, look. Now, Rev is a little, you know, I'm the controversial one over here. White people selling drugs too. White people committing violent crime too. They beating their wives, et cetera, et cetera. But they're more or less getting away with it because they're not being policed as much. They're not being patrolled. I would say patrolled. Let me use that word. It's not being patrolled as much. So I, I wonder if, if it's open crime or is it just the light is being shined on our community more? Because if, if you take that light and you turn it to other communities, would you see more crime? Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think if you spend more time looking for things, you, you'll definitely find them. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, Which it's goes into the over-policing that we were talking yeah. about. Go ahead. I'm fine. Yeah. Step on you. Yeah. But you. But you see the relationship, though, right? Um, high crime area, high attention, high patrol, 
I mean, that's that's the I mean, like that's that's part of the formula. Like anywhere you go in the world, like for policing or patrolling or addressing, you know, criminal activity, like you put, you know, a bulk of your force, you know, you know, like so there's beats and you you have a certain geography. But what I'm talking about is the hot spots, the areas where we know it goes down at, right? That's where a lot of the focus goes. And then like, you know, so like here in Champaign and Urbana, like, I mean, these shootings have been going on like back and forth for like the last, man, 10, 12 years, like nonstop, just back and forth, back and forth, different players. Um, and it, I, I don't know if there's an answer um, to, you know, how do you solve that? And is, is the answer, you know, to patrol less? Is it, like you know it's like it's like some community you know some community participation uh family i mean like this is a complex problem mm -hmm. you know and and if any I mean, if, I, i'm telling you mm -hmm. if anybody can figure out the formula the stuff we're talking about right now and rev i hope that's you <laughs> maybe man maybe yeah. i you know um um i so i don't know if you know this uh lieutenant so i'm i'm very close to finishing my doctorate and but it's an education. So because yeah, I, think, I think educating is how we're going to solve it, getting in the schools. So when we produce these people into the community, they'll be more um, educated and less likely to commit these these types of crimes because they'll have more options. And I, and I don't believe that that black people are natural born criminals. What I think is we have fewer options. And, and I am trying to make sure that black people have more options. Um, but before I go on, I know Key had a really good question that she she uh, texted me. I think it'll be awesome, um, Lieutenant. So let, let's hear her and, and see what she has to say. Okay. Yes, Lieutenant. I was hoping that you can kind of touch on it just from my perspective as a black woman. Um, of course, we, we have a jaded relationship with the police force. There are oftentimes where we may need to call police or they may need to be involved in situations, but we have that fear of getting the police involved could often result in potentially death in many cases. So um, you kind of have to weigh out whether or not you want to actually get the police involved in a situation with say uh, a black male, where it's like almost not worth calling the police because there's a fear that he could die because of this situation. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And, and, and trust me, like, I'm, 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 I would, I would never tell you, um, any black woman not to trust, you know, their instinct. And of course, you know, people will tell you, well, you should have called the police. You should do that. You should do this. Well, you know, you're the one nine times out of 10, who's going to have to deal with, you know, the repercussions of that decision, you know, to make that call. Um, I, you know, I would encourage you if you're in danger call the police or if you need help call the police but there are times where you may choose not to do that depending on the circumstances and i trust the the intuition of black women i really feel like black women know when when it's when it's appropriate to call for help or if you think you can handle it and i know sometimes people think they got it and bad things happen but for the most part i, I believe in the power and, and the intelligence of black women to know when to call because they call and sometimes they don't. But I, I'll leave that right there. I, I ain't messing with no black women. 
and, and just for note to what Kier was saying, I know Mac had one uh, next, but just for, for note to what Kier was saying, and I would throw this one real quick back to you, uh, Lieutenant. Um, studies show uh, done by the University of Michigan a couple of years ago that the sixth leading cause of death in the United States for African-American males are at the hands of police officers. Um, that, that is, and no other, no other group of people is even in the top, that, that's even in the top 10. So we are more than lapping um, other demographics in being killed by um, police officers. So there is a fear of, their, of, of mothers when, when, you know, God rest her soul, when my mama would send us out, um, she worried about the gangs and what she called the big gang which was the police officers, right? Now, that's what she, she called it what she called it, right? You know, mama gonna call a spade a spade. So she worried about the gangs getting me and the big gangs getting me. So, you know, for mothers, what do we, what do we say to mothers who are, who, who know these numbers that, man, my son really might get killed, not by, not only by the streets, but by the police. Like, like it being in the top 10, it being number six, that is high. I think we can all agree that is way too high. So, so how do you how do you speak? How can you comfort a mother in that situation, or or maybe not even comfort a mother? Just how do you speak to that number um, that you know says, you know, hey, top ten likely death of a black man is going to be by the hands of a police officer. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know what I could say that would offer any comfort at all um explaining that statistic you know to a mother who has a son who is trying to keep him from becoming a part of that alarming statistic right yeah um all, all i know is this um you know educating like you said education you know like formalized education and then that education you get at home and I, and we need to start educating you know, our kids in the community, how to stay safe, how to minimize the likelihood, you know, that you encounter a police officer. I know some of it is inevitable, you're right. Especially in certain places, they will stop you because they don't like your car, find a reason to pull you over. I get it. What I'm saying is this, the, the stuff that we have control over, right? As individuals, as parents, and when our kids are out, in the streets, we know some of the stuff that they could be doing that would draw unnecessary attention to them. How do how do we how do we get our kids to cut back on doing things where they kind of expose themselves a little bit? And I'm not excusing the statistic. I'm not saying that it's it's their fault. Trust me, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we need to we need to start looking at some sort of an education piece and some sort of a development where we're actively trying to find ways to protect ourselves better mm -hmm. does that make sense? oh it's definitely a double-edged sword we can't we can't lay that number solely at the police of i mean at the feet of the police officer no we doubt cannot. it makes a lot of sense man yeah we cannot we cannot do that so matt go so, ahead man. yeah man because that made me think about some of the stupid things that i got myself into a lot of situations where <laughs> man i'm blessed to make it home you know whether it was more often than not it wasn't interaction with police it was because i was hanging with the wrong people or doing some of the wrong things. So a lot of those times you can't blame the police. You can't blame the streets. You got to blame the kids. Like, come on, man, you shouldn't have been there. Watch this. Go, go ahead. Hey, here's another story. 
Um, and this is this is really the this is really the stuff I'm talking about. The stuff that we have control over. Uh, I was at work one night on patrol, and I see a car going. Now it's dark. Car mm-hmm. going down. It's a black car. Ain't nothing blowing on it. Not a light. Nothing. Headlight, yeah. tail, brake light, registration light. I'm talking about the car was black. Got you. Seen it. Yeah. So I stopped him, and it's a brother, and he had three girls in the car with him. And I smell weed. And I'm like, oh, man. Hmm. So I decided to help him out. And I said, I'm not going to write you a ticket. And I'm not going to pull you out the car and search everybody in here because you got these girls in the car with you. Like, this is unnecessary. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write you a warning. I'm going to follow you somewhere where you can park this car. And then for that, you owe me a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and that's so, good. Wow. So I, wow. I, I, followed, I followed him over to the barber shop. I got him out the car. And the first thing I told him, I said, brother, if you're going to do something dumb, please be smart about it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, don't <laughs> do please, stupid please things be smart about stupidly. It. Do not do <laughs> stupid things stupidly. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I, said, I said, look, I said, now, you know, you can't be out here riding around in a car smoking weed because if you get stopped, that means... I get to pull you out of the car. These young ladies, I'm going through your wallet. I'm going through their purses. I'm going through your glove box. I get to search everything in the car. And guess what? You would go to jail. Yeah. You go to jail. Uh-huh. I said, you know, the quick, the easiest way to eliminate that is if you want to smoke, do that at home. And, and this, and this, I'm talking about this is this is pre weed being legal. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna do it, find a spot to do it and be there. Don't hey. right. Um, Mac know all the spots, by the way. <laughs> former, former spots. You still know them same spots. Don't do that. Don't do that. You may not go to the spots, but you know them. Yeah. And I was telling them, I, I said, I said, I said, what, what drew attention to me was like, you don't have, so even when he hit his brakes, nothing lit up. I'm like, bro, you ain't got literally no lights on your car straight up riding dirty like come on I mean, man like, I, I said i said you are asking to be pulled over that's the kind of stuff i'm talking about you you buying weed you can buy light bulbs for your car <laughs> <laughs> it don't take long to change a fuse man, bro man, if, you buy the, weed, hey, if you can buy weed you can buy light bulbs no doubt. Man, hey, if, well, if, if if you can if you can drive and smoke weed, you need to be buying light bulbs. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> you got skill there. So yeah, with that, I was gonna bring up. I, I don't want to get into all the the stuff that's happened online because you ain't got nothing to do with that. But there's been a lot of those videos of people. It seems like we have to be perfect riding down the street in order to avoid some of these interactions. Cause there's a lot of stuff that happened all across the nation. I mean, we've seen the videos on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and all that about what should have been some, a regular stop turning into a deadly situation. Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear from you. I mean, maybe, maybe we need to have you educate some of these other officers, but I would love to hear from you the best way to deal with these interactions. Maybe I did make a mistake. Maybe I forgot to hit my left turn signal or maybe it ain't working right now. Or, you know, some of those situations, what is the best thing we can do to avoid this routine stop from turning into a front page article? 
And and real quick, while you're doing that, do you have to pull somebody over because they didn't use a turn signal? Like, is that really like, <laughs> all right, like, like, man, that's a lot of work for a turn signal. All right, go ahead, man. I'm just like, come on, man. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, like, so for me, a turn signal is like super petty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the only time a, like a turn signal becomes a big issue for me is if it like uh, potentially almost like if I see it and it almost created an accident because the driver didn't know where this person was going because they didn't have a turn signal on and they turned, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, that, now, now I would pull somebody over for a turn signal for that, but not just because, well, they didn't use a turn signal, I'm going to pull them over. Like, that was just, that was always petty to me. Um, so what was what was the original part of the question? Oh, so, um, you know, like, how to, how to keep the stop from, like, escalating into something? Escalating, like, definitely, yeah. Well, so, so as a police officer, um, the mindset should be, de-escalate not escalate so Ooh. the 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 sandra bland situation hey, hey, so hold it, on hold it, on lieutenant can you say that again for the cops in the back that yeah, need right. to hear that again because i've seen it go the other way and it was not the person in the car's fault but go ahead bro yeah, yeah. say that again the, the the mentality that keeps everybody safe and we all you know we all said we want to we want to go home at night the best way to do that is to have a mind to de-escalate now we have to be prepared for whatever mm-hmm. but the person you're dealing with shouldn't have to see that or feel that, right? Mm-hmm. So de-escalate keeps them safe, definitely keeps me safe. Mm. And, and, and that ensures the likelihood that I stay healthy and that we have some sort of a positive, you know, outcome to this, you know, to this traffic stop or interaction or whatever the case may be. So the mindset should be de-escalate. Now, the Sandra Bland situation, like, I don't agree with, how the police officer dealt with it. And I, and I can tell you about situations where I agree with what the cops did. But in my opinion, when I feel like it's wrong, it's just wrong. Mm-hmm. So when it, it, it really went south when he asked her to put out her cigarette. Yep. Yep. So what's just, that got to do with anything? It is not illegal. There is nothing yep. anywhere on any book anywhere in America that says you can't smoke a cigarette on your traffic stop. Yep. Now, if you get ready to get arrested and you got a cigarette in your hand, they may want you to put it out. Now, mm-hmm. that's that's a different story. But sitting in your car during the interaction, like if you saw, she had to get out the car because he's writing her a ticket. Mm-hmm. But he wanted her to put the cigarette out and get out of the car. That, that's that's taking it too far. Yeah. You know, I, I would have told, you know, like, you know, if it was unsafe or whatever, whether he wanted to give her a warning or not, you should have just wrote this citation, let that woman go. Don't ask her to put her cigarette out because now you put her in a position where she feels like you're trying to assert power over her and not just do your authority. You're demeaning her at this point. You're you're demeaning her character. Because what did she tell him? She said, what? Yeah. I don't have have to put my cigarette out. So now you try. Now she felt like she was trying to be controlled on top mm-hmm. of being stopped for something petty. Mm-hmm. And and did he did he do anything to de-escalate the situation? Did he try no. to talk her down? Did he didn't explain nothing? Did, no. he, did, he escalated. Did, he escalated he, the situation. He yes. talked to her like she was a subject who was supposed to do what the hell he was telling her to do no matter yep. what. Yep. Uh-huh. And, that, uh-huh. and, and that was that was all about power and control. It had nothing to do about you know doing his job as a police officer. And she felt it. And that's why she was upset. Yep. Hey, that is wow. Let me let me ask you this because it, it goes it goes right along with what you were saying because you actually said it. Everybody wants to go home. Now, I 
I understand. And Lieutenant, I want you to go home. I know you. I always want you to make it home. You know, uh, I know your wife. I know your family. Like, cool, go home. So I, I hear that. And I know a lot of cops have said, I felt threatened. I felt threatened. Like, you know, black man ain't got a gun in his hand. I don't know how you feel threatened. I don't know how you felt, you know, you, you, you feel threatened by George Floyd or, uh, you know, any of the myriad of brothers that, that's been killed. So the idea of wanting to go home, it's like, it's going to sound, I'm going to be clumsy in what I say, but this is Black Minds Matter podcast. We're clumsy because we're here to start the conversation. But, you know, like they, like they say in the, in the rap songs, man, if you're scared, stay at home. Like maybe this ain't the job for you if you're scared and you're worried about going home. Because if you're worried about going home, you're more likely to put your hand on that gun and kill one of my brothers or my sisters. Right. If that is your first thought, I want to go home. Well, if you want to go home, you probably need a new job. That's what I would say. What would you say to people that think that way? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, if you find yourself in a position where you have a job that, you know, has a dangerous component to it and you're afraid of the people you're charged to protect, it's time to take your ball and go home. Mm-hmm. Man, um, exactly. Like, exactly. Exactly. The, the, the minute you are so afraid that everybody is a threat, you know, like, so uh, come on, I get it. You know, I, we have all kind of trainings for like active shooter, this, that, and the other control tactics. How do you defend yourself? If it's this, that, and the third, like we have training, training, and training, right? Training is one thing. Um, application of that training is another. And then situational recall of that training is another thing, and then based on how you feel about the people you're dealing with, changes the trajectory of all the stuff I just said. So if, if you're scared and you got this training, right, are you going to feel comfortable, like, staying calm, trying to de-escalate a situation? Are you going to feel comfortable if you have to take it up a notch, you know, in your intensity to try to get a person, you know, under control if it's, if it's turned physical, and then then you have to bring yourself down again. Like you have to be able to fluctuate between the white, the yellow and the red. Yellow is alert, kind of paying attention to everything. White is you're not paying attention to everything. You cannot be in the white as a police officer. And being in the red is really a couple of situations where it's physical or it's life-threatening. Then you're in the red, high alert. We should stay in the yellow. We should stay in the yellow. Sometimes maybe go a little orange if you got to go hands-on come down but you always want to come back to yellow because once a person has lost their composure thought processes training common sense go right out the window yep because we're emotional people absolutely no doubt. yeah and it's over go ahead matt and that's when the brain stops really functioning like it should you know i've learned to always keep your head on the swivel now with all these things that you got to deal with man i mean i understand you wanting to be able to go home i mean we all want to go home and I understand that police officers are trained well, a lot better than the average man on the street. But I've noticed more and more in different cities, not necessarily here, but more and more they're militarizing the police more and more. Is it really necessary for the police to have certain weapons, certain armors that you know the people on the streets don't always have? How do you feel about this militarization? And on the side note with that, how do you feel about that whole defund the police movement that was going on you can attack them both separately or you can attack that as one but i'll put that in your court well when you say when you say militarization 
um, like, for me, it's kind of like a, a, a pair of like militarization, you know, of the police. Like, like you'll you'll see that, um, like with SWAT teams and like any of these like special react teams where they have like the big uh, I forgot what they call it, an MRAP or something like that, and it looks like a giant military vehicle, like for a search warrant, and it's usually like on a place where there's we know there's like armed subjects or a barricade hostage subject and they break out all of this scary big giant equipment right mm -hmm. but most of the police officers on the street like you know they don't have access to like all of that stuff you know what i mean okay okay so i mean that that's just how i see it you know from my perspective and you know like i've i've never I've never actually been on a search warrant where that stuff was used because I'm not on the SWAT team. But the SWAT teams have that paramilitaristic look with the helmets and, you know, the turtle gear and all that stuff on. You know, like, that is like a special unit. They show up, you know, at a house with a search warrant and, you know, it's usually like guns, drugs that they break all, all of that stuff for, especially like, you know, when they go in and they know it's a person who they like was identified as like the suspect in a shooting or a homicide. They break the stuff out and they move in on stuff like that. Cause it's like, you know, we know these people got guns. We know they've shot people. So we need to prepare. And that's where I see the closest thing to the militarization of police with all of that, that heavy equipment, the vehicles, the SWAT teams with the gear and they look like soldiers. Right. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so that happens to me. And the other half of the question what was it? And defund the police movement that was going on. What did you feel about that? Because I, I can see multiple different points to that. I mean, I get it on both sides, but as a police officer, how did you feel about them trying to defund your whole field, basically? Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I kind of see it like this. Like, um, I, I, I think I think the defund the police does have some validity to a point and this mm -hmm. is what i can hold on hold on can you explain because some people don't really understand what that's about so that's before, you, before yeah. you give some validity to it we really well, want to hear you but for well, our audience so, member that don't know can you explain what defund the police actually means well so so defund the police the way i understand it does not mean taking money from you know from uh, every police department and firing all the cops, getting rid of police departments and doing this that, and the third. It just means reallocating, you know, some resources, you know, to other things in the community that maybe would have been spent on, you know, some kind of law enforcement fund or whatever. Like, so let, let, let's say you got a municipality and let's say the budget for, you know, the Minneapolis Police Department was $27 million. And they say, hey, we need $500,000, you know, out of this total city budget to fund a youth program, can we can we get it from the yeah the police? You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that five hundred thousand dollars going to hurt? Yeah, it's, it's still hurt them a little bit. But if it's a department, if it's a department where they need to be making cuts, where this department has grossly, you know, misused its powers, you know, so like uh, you know, like the whole George Floyd thing and those officers, mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with them taking a portion of whatever funding, if they got to take $100,000, $200,000 from them because of what happened to George Floyd and that lawsuit, right? I don't, I don't have an issue with that. But just indiscriminately, like, defunding every police department, I, I don't agree with that. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 
you have something, Matt? Well, no, I was just going to continue on with that because, yeah, that was my point with that whole defund thing. I see what people were trying to do. Like, there's no reason that you should have all this money allocated for the militarization or the, the body suits that some of these um, groups of officers had. But at the same time, that money could be used to educating officers, to learn how to de-escalate, to learn some sociology, things like the classes you took on how to deal with people in large groups and small groups, some psychology stuff to help them to understand what this person is going through in this moment of being pulled over, in this moment where you've had to step into their house because of a disagreement. So mind chemistries and the way people function in those high intensity emotional moments is gonna be different. So we need people who are trained to understand that about people and how to, like you spoke about earlier, to de-escalate. So if you were going to defund I would say let's reallocate those funds into more educational means, but that's just me, you know. No, that, but that's exactly what it is, Mac. So mm -hmm. when people hear uh, opponents of defund the police, they hear defund and they're like, I don't want my police officers to not have funding. That's not it. Like he said earlier, it is re reallocation of funds because a lot of times, and, and, uh, you know, Lieutenant, I'm going to, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to keep you too much longer. I just have two, two more questions. One is along the lines of uh, defunding the police here. Um, and then the last one, I think, well, it'll, it'll spark a little bit of conversation, but for this one, um, a lot of times when police are called, they actually need a mental health expert to be called. Yeah. Right. So, so you, there'll, there'll be a, there'll be a mental health crisis and somebody will call the police. But they don't know who else to call. That's who we supposed right. to call. These From what I understand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, police are not trained to handle mental health, schizophrenia, you know, different different types of mental health issues. So I believe if we were to able to reallocate some funds to some more health professionals and or training for the police, some of these issues that Mac were bringing up and, you know, like, does it really have to be that hard of a, of a traffic stop? And it's not just traffic. It's called the homes and things of that nature. So can you speak to being a, being a cop, a police officer, don't mean to you know, be rude if cop is an offensive term. I actually don't know. Um, but can you speak to a time where maybe you were called to a, um, to a scene or, you know, whatever you call it. And you're like, we really shouldn't be here. This is a mental health issue, or this is an issue that, police officers shouldn't actually be policing. Yeah, so about that, um, I, I, so we call those CIT call, you know, uh, crisis intervention. Yes. Uh, so we have CIT officers, crisis intervention trained officers, right? Mm -hmm. So, but, but you mentioned something earlier, like, you know, somebody's having a mental episode, this, that, and the third, and they call the police, like, who else, who else, is gonna go like mm -hmm. who else do you call and who's yeah. making the call see it's people in the community like they see somebody with mental illness like spazzing going out like i probably shouldn't say spazzing but you know going through an episode you know and they're and they're exhibiting you know clear signs of mental illness uh outbursts verbal physical aggression People get afraid and they call nine one one. Yep, exactly. So That's dangerous. So, so when you call nine one one, right? They call the police, and we're first responders. 
we have to. So like when, when they called my number as a police officer, number 111, I had to go. When they called my badge number as a sergeant, number 274, I had to go. You don't get a choice. Now, when we show up, now we, we've gotten called to so many calls like that before, you know, law enforcement has to say, look, we're getting a lot of these calls and we know that there should be a mental health professional dealing with these individuals. But depending on the situation, you know, sometimes the mental illness is not like this glaring in your face, like physical, verbal, like there, there are levels to it, right? So when we show up and somebody's having, you know, a little bit of a mental crisis, yeah, most definitely it should be, you know, a mental health professional. But between the hours of 7 a.m. and 5 p.m., that's where a bulk of, you know, your mental health crises workers are in the office, available, you know, whatever. But they're not first responders. They're not going to come out to the scene. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. No doubt. Right. After five o'clock, when everybody goes home and there's a mental health call out. Yeah. What do you do? Right. So we, we've actually hired social workers and they're in the cars with our CIT officers. Our officers go up, make sure the scene is safe. The mental health professional deals with that person having the episode. And we, okay. and we back. So it's called the co-responder model. Um, so we're implementing that. I think other agencies and you can ask any cop in America um, if you could not take any more CIT calls because you know it's better to have a mental health professional doing every last one of them until yeah but we did it we did it out of obligation because we found ourselves dealing with it so much we had to get some training to deal with it because we knew there was nobody else available especially after 5 p.m and that's when a lot of it you know takes place and you know it's, it's triggered you know, and it's exacerbated by drug and alcohol use, which goes up on the weekends and after five. And after dark. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to say this in jest, but everything goes down when dark, right? The freaks come out at night. And I'm not calling <laughs> nobody. I'm not talking to the people who have mental health issues as freaks, but really, the freaks come out at night. So, Lieutenant, man, I want to ask you one other other question that um, there, there was a recent story in Dallas. Um, this is about nine, ten days ago. Um, I'm going to tell you about the story, but then it's going to speak to a larger and more in general thing. Um, there were two young men in Dallas who were, um, their attempt to produce a mass shooting was thwarted by somebody in the community that snitched on them. So we're going to talk about the stop snitching campaign that, that goes out, which I think is one of the silliest things in the world. So there were two young men who were um, 18 years old, and I believe they had a 10 year old boy in the car with them. Anyway, they were, they were, they were seized. They were going to a football game. A football game was going on. They were going to a football game and they had like an AK-47, they had these assault rifles and they were planning on shooting people at the game. Somebody from the community was in touch with a sergeant or lieutenant or something like that. And he found out and he called the police and was like, hey, there's two young men going to this football game. And when the young men arrived, the police were there and they thwarted the attempt. They stopped them. And this saved... We could have saved 50 countless lives, countless, yeah. countless lives, and we live in a mass shooting thing. So, the one of the and I'll and I'll just say this because it's this a Black Lives Matter podcast, and and I get on black people too. The stop snitching campaign is dumb. That is, that is, I, I'm here to say that is stupid. You know, people committing crime, let's talk about it. 
to keep it from happening. Because what if it was your mom or your brother or your sister it wouldn't have been one of those people that would have gotten killed, right? So can you speak to, you know, you've heard people say snitches get stitches, stop snitching, et cetera. But I'm like, hey man, somebody being an, I don't, I mean, informant or whatever you want to use, just saved 20, 30 people's lives. So how do like like can you speak to any of this you know stop snitching how does it hurt the how does it hurt the police when people will not help out you know and these are criminals this isn't somebody smelling the, selling a dime bag of weed this is somebody about to kill people right and we're so jaded by the police justly or unjustly that we would rather not say anything and have twenty people die and say well at least I didn't snitch black people that's stupid that is. That is it. That like that mode of thinking is stupid. So, can you speak to any of that? Snot, uh, sorry, stop snitching things. Huh? Yes, yeah, not too. Stop snitching oh. things that, that go along. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so in my opinion, I, I think the term snitch, uh, you know, kind of lost, you know, some of its original meaning and got like bastardized into this thing where, like, if you talk to the police. Even when you even when you probably should tell like this situation and it's a prime example of when you should tell the police if there's people on the way to a public function with AK-47 fully automatic rifles to commit mass murder, a person calls the police and stops it. And the first thing you can think about is calling that person a snitch instead of a hero. Wow. That's done there. Wow. Yeah. There, therein lies the problem. Mm. Snitching, snitching mm. never meant to be that you you told information to the police to help solve a crime in your community where somebody was hurt, somebody right. was de- somebody was deprived of their property, and you saw who did it. That ain't snitching. It's not snitching. Is me and Rev go out. There I'm you go. Rev. It would be Matt, by the way. That they did the crime. <laughs> <laughs> it would be him. See, that's why. That's why. As soon as you said it, he said, "There you go." See, now I'm snitching on Max. See, you see how that works? Like, it would be now, him. Now that was that was that was the that was the street definition of snitching. Like right. we do something, you get caught and you tell on me. Right. The original snitch was you worked for the police. Mm. You mm. got caught, and you decided, you know what, I'm gonna I'm a work for them because I don't want to go to jail, so I'm gonna get all the. That's the snitch. Informant, mm. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Confidential source. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the sources. <laughs> tell, tell them, tell them the police what you saw in your community is just tearing your community apart. Ain't Thank snitching. you. Thank you for saying that. Like just tearing your community apart. Look, man, if you see like. Like, you know, a dude is out here raping women. Telling is not snitching. Like, like you don't want your niece, your mother, your grandmother to be harmed. That is not snitching. Stop. You know, there's somebody going out to commit murder. Say something. See something. Say something. I'm I'm with that. Like, because I don't want to be a victim of that. And I don't want my loved ones to be a victim of that. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it's like people don't realize that until, you know, I've dealt with families and I'm, I'm sure some of them didn't really care for the police, but they wanted people to find information. They wanted people to talk. Please tell if you saw something. It ain't snitching when you need the information. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right. Totally different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't, right. don't use double standard when you find yourself as a victim and you need that information in the community to help bring justice to your family. 
that should let you know that that's not snitching. And think about everybody else that gets put in a situation where they need help, information, because they don't want to keep getting victimized. Mm-hmm. And you can help mm-hmm. stop it, but you choose to because of a, a nonsense like street rule that doesn't do anything to build the community. It only instills, uh, it only creates a cushion for people to continue to victimize people in their own neighborhood. Amen. That's it. That's but, it. Because they can get away I mean, with this. Course, yeah, but of course, keep going. I'm a cop. <laughs> right. No. Hey, All right. Hey, well, hey brothers, I'm, I'm going to have to go with my wife. Yeah, no, we were, we were fact, just going we to wrap we were up. Just gonna yeah. wrap up anyway, man. We really appreciate you uh, so much for coming on and, and shining some light into this situation. Thank you so much for being here with us on behalf of, of Key and behalf of Mac, man. We, 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 first of all, congratulations on yeah, your, yeah, on your, your promotion. Uh, that that's real big. And, and thank you for everything you're doing in the community. And thank you for shining light on this one, because this is just about starting conversations so people can be- get a better understanding. So thank you for joining the Black Minds Matter podcast. Hey, thank you all so much. I appreciate it. All right. Yeah, man. Man. That's thank it. you, Jay. We're going to wrap right. here. I am because we are, and we'll holler at y'all next time. Peace. Yeah. Yep, you hear the music. That means you just completed another chapter of the Black Minds Matter podcast. Please subscribe, rate, review, and download wherever you get your favorite podcast. Also, you can find us on YouTube. Just search The Nile. That's the N dot I dot L dot E dot, and you will find us straight away. Also, connect with us on IG at thenile.est1981 and on Gmail at thenile.est1981 at gmail.com. Check us out, and we appreciate you all. Peace.